0: the latest headlines. We've got rulings on Labour Party leaks, public apologies and internet blocking orders, as well as discussing the Department for Education's announcement to appoint a free speech champion for universities. So we are going to start with the Duchess of Sussex, um, who is to receive a front page apology from Associated Newspapers for printing parts of a private letter she wrote to her father. The apology is to appear in the Mail on Sunday and Mail Online, and there will be a longer article inside the paper which will explicitly state that the court found associated newspapers infringed Meghan's copyrights by publishing the extracts of the handwritten letter. So this is pretty unprecedented as a remedy, isn't it? Uh, you know, the court here is trying to do something that... Um, is is reserved for copyright. It's not available to the uh, the privacy claim, um, and so there's a kind of interesting distinction here between defamation, where you are allowed to publish apologies publicly, and and privacy, and then copyright again. So is is there something there that we can kind of draw out for listeners?
1: Yes. So um, this uh, the order to publish the apology relates solely to the uh, copyright uh, claim. As you say, Collette, this is not uh, a remedy that's available uh, as of right in the um, privacy context. Um, it, is, it is a remedy that uh, a defendant um, could take advantage of uh, themselves through choice uh, so for example if if a defendant was to publish uh, publish so if a defendant was to publish an apology uh of their own in- initiative uh then that could be taken into account for the purposes of uh calculating remedies uh, so that could happen in a privacy context but it's not like defamation where Uh, an apology uh, can be ordered uh, as part of uh, the remedies. The judgment that uh, will be handed down on Friday made it uh, explicitly clear that this order to publish an apology uh, was necessary Um, to correct the misinformation that the Daily Mail was circulating, which suggested that uh, Meghan's copyright claim uh, hadn't yet been uh, determined and that there would need to be a trial in order for it to be determined. Uh, That was not the case. Uh, Warby had already decided in favour of uh, Meghan Markle's copyright uh, claim The only question remaining was a question of fact, which is whether uh, copyright belonged exclusively to Megan or whether it was shared by some third party working uh, for Buckingham Palace.
2: I think it's remarkable to see this remedy being deployed at all. Um, And it's a mark of just how badly wrong... uh, associated newspapers have gotten their strategy through this entire sorry piece of litigation that we've ended up in a situation where it's had this remedy imposed upon upon it Um, this was as we've discussed several times on the podcast before this was a hopeless claim to defend from the start uh the mail's defense was a shambles from day one. Um, It had no merits, and that's why it was in short order subject to uh, summary judgment, which let's face it, very few claims of this sort are subject to. Um, Having been subject to summary judgment, the Mail then inaccurately reports that decision on summary judgment, and pretends it hasn't lost yet um and unsurprisingly, this features in the decision to impose uh this remedy that requires the mail to publish a statement prominently um, in wording that the mail does not itself determine now counsel for associated newspapers objected on the basis that this was an intrusive remedy and, um, uh, Lord Justice Warby, in his judgment at this point, um, disagrees with that characterization. He's quite clear that he does not regard intrusiveness as an appropriate term for this remedy. Um, but I think in there, there's, there's at least a hint of, uh, the, uh, argument that the mail is in absolutely no position to object to anything as being intrusive, given it's, I mean, it's charitable to call them journalistic practices, but I will call them that at this point, given its journalistic practices, um, at least over recent years, and going back as far as you want, frankly, with the Daily Mail, but... Uh, this is where we are. So it's remarkable to see this remedy imposed. Um, it's, a, 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 it's a statutory quirk, a no matter ultimately, of European Union law. That's uh, Because it's part of an EU directive on enforcement uh, and IP claims has found its way into domestic civil procedure rules. Um, it's a quirk that this is available at all. Um, and that it is only available in IP law. Um, but it is the sort of remedy that assuming this judgment makes perfectly clear there is no, there can be no principle of objection to it and that there is no Article 10 freedom of expression style retort to it that undermines it, then there is no longer any principal reason why it could not be applied uh, in any other kind of claim. It's just subject to the limitation that the uh, statutory basis for it um, is limited to IP claims. Um, but I'd be interested to see going forward, and I wouldn't expect it to happen in the near future, but if going forward the courts decide that this is the kind of remedy that the court could grant as uh, in part of injunctive relief at common law. The idea of uh, uh, an injunction of mandamus Uh, is not exactly new and it could cover uh, an order to publish Um, uh, so uh, yeah it will it will be interesting to see over the next decade or so if this becomes another useful tool in the uh, in the court's arsenal to use um, in in a wider range of cases.
0: Mm. Yeah it does seem to be you know using this this quirk as correct something that the legislators failed to do really in setting up an independent regulator and curbing press abuse so yeah it's, a, it's an interesting development. that one um i'm gonna uh move on to another uh free speech challenge and um, just we can get through everything today i think we can we can finish we can get whipped through this one quite quickly because i think it's recycling a lot of the same conversations we seem to be having a lot on newscast recently um and that is the government has announced the appointment of a free speech champion that will protect university institutions against woke culture. The announcement that came in mid-February promised that changes to the law will guarantee the preservation of free speech at universities. And the Department for Education has told The Telegraph that there has been an unacceptable silencing and censoring on campuses that is having a chilling effect. Now, luckily for us listeners, we have two academics from university institutions who happen to know quite a lot about free speech. So, Tom and Paul, I wonder, do you feel chilled?
1: To the bone. Um, Yes, this is incredibly strange and objectionable on many different levels. And it plays into this white fantasy, doesn't it? That This poor, white, rich man poor rich white man is somehow having his voice suppressed uh it is utter nonsense it makes several um uh fundamental mistakes about the nature of free speech that uh we touched upon last time and i'm quite happy to repeat um the top of that list is this idea that freedom of speech somehow means uh a right to be heard. Um, it it doesn't at all. No one's no one's free speech is threatened because uh, no one wants to listen to them. Uh, this is just utter uh, nonsense. Um, quite why uh, woke culture, uh, which is quickly becoming a pejorative term, but quite why um, this has attracted a, a parliamentary intervention in circumstances where parliament refuses to tackle and take seriously press abuse of the type that we see take place systematically on a daily basis quite why it's decided this is the hill to die on uh, is is entirely unclear to me um but if if there is a, a sentiment amongst students that they don't want to have to tolerate certain forms of expression then that is their freedom of speech playing out it is their way of signaling um their own uh, opinions and, and viewpoints um if you uh, want to listen to this to um uh, alternative right-wing speakers or alternative left-wing speakers By all means, do so. They, They will be available in lots of different fora. But why these people should have now a right to appear on campus, I mean, they still won't have a right to be listened to, but why they should have a right to appear on campus is completely beyond me.
0: One of the things that was mentioned by the Department for Education was possible repercussions uh, for people who are sacked or disciplined for their views, and and that does touch on things that we've spoken about before, perhaps in a more favourable sense of you know employment yeah. law yeah. and free speech. So, is there something in that?
1: Yeah, of, co- of course, there's there's something in that. Um, there is definitely something in that that uh, to be dismissed because you hold a viewpoint that others don't agree with. Um is deeply problematic and I would say it's abuse of managerial power but um, that for me is a separate issue to this idea that you are entitled to come onto campus and spread uh, these hideous ideas uh, amongst um, students. What I would say and I said this last time and I'll say it again, I would encourage students to invite these hateful characters onto campus so that we can listen to them for an hour and spend that time productively booing them um, hissing at them um, and i'm all for throwing tomatoes at them
0: Tommy. let's be completely
1: clear
2: this government has no interest in enhancing freedom of speech rights on university campuses or anywhere else in fact a number of measures that they have taken or announcements they have made have been to have precisely the opposite effect Um, it's not that long since we had a conservative party member of parliament writing to university heads demanding a list of the names of every academic teaching about brexit so that they could have uh, and and, and re- require and demanding uh, copies of their course syllabuses to see whether the right views on Brexit were being taught. Um, this is the uh, government where we have government ministers talking about um, not decolonizing the curriculum, stopping universities from decolonizing their curriculum so that we don't you know, airbrush out the good stuff that the British did in history, which is a complete, a complete ruination of the study of history, as any uh, student of history worth their salt immediately recognizes, and without wishing to uh, get at all drawn into the substance of the uh, uh, debate on uh, measures to combat anti-Semitism. Um, It is simply noteworthy that uh, Gavin Williamson is uh, insistent that universities should adopt the IHRA uh, definition of anti-Semitism as a disciplinary tool, which is something that whatever your views on the IHRA as a document, we can all agree it was not designed to be a disciplinary tool, Um, and, and it's quite apparent that it lacks the specificity that a disciplinary tool requires in order to be effective. And the result of imposing that on universities, it is an imposition that the government is trying to make, uh, may well be, uh, advertently or otherwise, to chill academic freedom when it comes to discussion of certain topics around the nation-state of Israel and Palestine, the whole Middle East conflict. Um, whether you know that is a result of defensive practice or whatever on the part of the academics, that chilling effect may well uh, come to pass, and that's why there's been such controversy over it uh, being uh, 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 imposed. So my point here is that this government has no interest in trying to enhance freedom of speech and has shown no inclination to do so, um, I, I, you know, we could go further. There would be plenty who would point out that one of the earliest things that this government did in terms of coronavirus restrictions has been to prevent uh, and make unlawful uh, demonstrations in the streets of a political nature. Um, Now, no doubt that there is a very genuine public health concern uh, that the government can pray in aid to defend that, but it will be interesting to see at what point along the government's timeline for relaxing restrictions public protests become lawful again. Um, So, you know, the government doesn't have a good record on this. This is not about free speech. This is uh, about stoking a culture war. Uh, there are political motivations behind it. It's not a legal issue as such, um, but it's relevant to us because we're academics. I don't think that anybody is being chilled uh, as a guest speaker on campus. I think those who are being chilled from speaking are the permanent academics on on campus who face chilling effects because of the government's actions in the areas that I've mentioned. Um, so I agree with every word that Paul has said on this this matter. Um, Yeah, this is uh, an unnecessary, but disturbing move um, by the government. It is, I strongly suspect, part of a broader uh, political agenda and quite probably um, a bit of distraction because you know that nothing winds up uh, uh, those on the liberal left as uh, measures like this and nothing distracts those on the liberal left so much as uh being wound up
1: I, I i completely agree i think um what this also signals very clearly uh it signals that this government is losing this culture war and that the establishment is scared it's running scared um and that, to me, uh, says everything. The other thing to say, of course, is that um, I do. I am pleased to see that Gavin Williamson is heading this up because that, uh, if nothing else, is a cast-iron guarantee that he won't be able to pull it off. So nothing will come from this. If we've learned anything from Gavin Williamson, it's that he's entirely incompetent.
0: Well, that's a hopeful note to end that particular discussion on then. I'm going to move on to something different, and that is two court orders that have come out of the High Court in recent weeks to block access to cyberlocker and stream-ripping sites, which has particularly big implications for ISP liability and also music piracy and copyright um, issues. So cyberlockers, just briefly, they are um, online data storage providers that can be accessed globally globally. Uh, all over the internet and stream ripping are the processes that facilitates most piracy. Streamed audio is converted into permanent audio downloads which can be stored for future consumption. So, two cases have just come through the uh, High Court, Capital Records and Young Turks against uh, BT and others. And um, in both these cases, the claimants are record companies who hold approximately 99% of legal sound recordings in the UK. The application was sought under the Copyrights Design and Patent Act against six of the largest ISPs in the UK to block access to nitroflare.com, which is a cyberlocker and stream ripping service, uh, which the claimants alleged is used to infringe their copyrights. Mr. Justice Miles found that the operators of Nitroflare directly infringed the copyrights uh, by performing unauthorized acts of communication to the public, contrary to section 20 of the Copyright Designs and Patent Act. And this finding was in direct contrast to an attorney general opinion in Europe last year on a case with similar facts, that's YouTube and Sando, which argued that neither YouTube nor the cyberlocker uploaded were. Directly performing acts of communication. So you've got two very different interpretations of ISP responsibility in these two cases. In both uh, Capital Records and Young Turks, it was held that Nitroflare pursue profit making intentions and perform, an indispens- and perform an indispensable intervention. Therefore, they're the only ones actually able to make a difference in stopping the service. So that makes them responsible. And also that the uh, terms and conditions that Nitroflare had in place which contained a prohibition on infringing copyright, was nothing but window dressing. The whole purpose of this technology was to offer the infringing sites um, the opportunity to circumvent technological protections that YouTube had in place to prevent the um, infringement of copyright. And so it was nonsense for these um, operators to be arguing that what they were doing wasn't helping illegal activity. So the cases are important development in online jurisprudence, which is something that we touch on in news a lot, so it will be interesting to know how they become relevant going forward, uh, particularly in light of the idea that innocent ISPs can become liable uh, as a feature of the online harms bill. So these cases set an important precedent in that regard. And also, I'm particularly interested in how this development may apply to deepfake pornography sites, which is something we've also briefly mentioned in the past, but really deserves an entire episode in its own right. So um, perhaps that's that's one for the future, and and we'll go into more detail there. That's all I have to say on that matter. I think that pretty much sums it all up. So I think before we finish today, we just want to briefly mention the High Court ruling in the Labour anti-Semitism reports. The High Court ruled that the alleged leakers of the Labour Party report into its handling of the anti-Semitism criticisms should not be named because the risk um, it may cause to innocent individuals. Mrs. Justice Tipples said that Amelia Oldnose claim smacks of a fishing expedition so that the claimant can cast around to identify potential defendants to sue. Tom Paul, is there any comments you want to make on this? I mean, it's pretty expected, this judgment, right? It flies in the face of whistleblowing protections, Seeking. Well,
2: it's heartening to see the judgment um, putting a firm line in in, in the sand here. Um, the claim, um, f- the claim here brought by Emily Oldknow, who was, uh, who was a high-ranking staffer um, uh, uh, at the Labour Party. Um, uh, and who is one of the individuals uh, singled out for criticism uh, in the uh, report, in the leaked report, um, in which there were a number of staffers who were singled out for criticism on a number of grounds, including um, leaked emails that purported to show them um, pleased when the Labour Party underperformed in general elections. Uh, and some uh, leaked messages that were uh, abusive and in some cases uh, very unpleasantly so about uh, other members of the Labour Party, including members of Parliament. Um, uh, so uh, oldno brings this claim uh, trying to force the Labour Party to uh, re- divulge the name or names of those that the party thinks is responsible for um, uh, releasing that report. Um, But since the party does not know for sure who did it, and there's no indication the Labour Party knows for sure who did it, all that would be getting divulged in that circumstance is a a list of possible suspects. And the risk is then that they would all be subject to uh, litigation, which they would have to defend. And uh, Mrs. Justice Tipples quite rightly sees this as a fishing expedition um, and one that cannot be uh, permitted by the court. So Oldno uh, loses that. It's now likely that if Oldenough wants to bring a claim in respect of the uh, allegations levelled against her in the report, uh, she will have to do so against the Labour Party rather than any individual leaker. And you're absolutely right, Colette, that... You know the principle here is, if not exactly the same as, uh, it is akin to a whistleblower type situation um, where those who who leaked the report did so um, on a matter of public interest. It should be noted that report was not leaked out into the public domain as something that you know that was just put out there on the internet for everybody to read. Uh, I mean, if you go and look for it, I think it's pretty difficult to. Um, locate, unless I'm much mistaken, but it did get um, passed to a number of media outlets who, again, did not publish it in its entirety, but made reference to it and commented on it in some detail. So by the standards of things that get leaked, one could make the case that this was leaked pretty responsibly um, by by those who did. Um, And that's before we get into, and I've no intention of getting into, the, the, the internal politics that led to this happening within the Labour Party.
0: So I, I do wanted one thing you mentioned there was that um, the former members of staff named in the report could take action against the party. Is that, I mean, I mean, how would that actually play out?
2: Well, the party is a legal entity. Um, it's a private legal entity and um, would be subject to legal action the same as anybody else. Um, so, uh, for example... Uh, there could be a claim in uh, data protection um, because you've got uh, ostensibly uh, private uh, uh, messages that are sent from one person to another could constitute personal data if the party has uh, such lax data security that it is able to suffer a data, a data breach which the leak of a report could be characterized as and it could be a defendant to that sort of claim um, if it is negligent in permitting the report to be published, and the report contains defamatory material. Assuming arguendo, there's no defence to the defamation, which there might be, um, then it could be the defendant in a defamation claim because it could have been a, a uh, it could be regarded to be a publisher uh, if it uh, was was aware of the potential for the leak. So there are various ways in which claims like this could be brought. Um, uh, there's, there's no problem bringing the claim against the party in, in theory, providing you can pin some degree of responsibility on them, you just have to make sure that you pin the appropriate level of responsibility on them for the type of claim that is brought um, but I do think it will make bringing the claim harder um, because you're going to have to show um, more of a connection a causal connection between what the Labour Party did and the leaking of the report uh, you're going to have to show a higher degree of, uh, of wrongful action on the part of the Labour Party in permitting the report to come out um, than, than you would against individuals. Um, really, I will be interested to see that, of course, the, the substance of the claim if it gets brought, because, of course, that's what we're all really interested in, is whether any of this stuff is you know can, is, is, is provably true.
0: All right. Um, well, I think that is a, a nice place to stop. Um, so thank you very much, Tom and Paul, as always.
2: Thanks, Colette. Thanks, Colette
0: and please follow us on social media at media law podcast and we will be back with more newscasts in a few weeks thanks very much bye